centenary uh this is a podcast where we discuss films that other space jockeys have described as masterpieces i am joined as ever by roger i can't think of a descriptive adjective in the park, five by five <laughs> um and today we are um locking and loading we are um looking for xenomorphs or maybe it's just another bug hunt as we discuss uh, a double bill, possibly, uh, we may get into this, the greatest double bill of all time in filmic history. Um, maybe that's a bit uh, hyperbolic, but it, I'm going to stand by it for the minute. We are discussing not only 1979 Ridley Scott's haunted house, in quotes, um, in space, Alien, and we're discussing the... Uh, surprisingly different and surprisingly good 1986 sequel James Cameron's Aliens Yes, our, our general attitude to this is that if there are multiple films in a sequence that we want to discuss we, we do it uh, in the year slot of the last one. Obviously yes. there, there were no more Alien films after this and therefore we don't need to worry about that. <laughs> well maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll talk about that um, but I'm not arguing, I must say <laughs> um, uh, Consequently, that might be why we come to other franchises later on um, in this uh, vaguely date-orientated podcast, well, largely date-orientated podcast. Um, well, let's start. Let's start with Alien, shall we? Let's get right into it. We're, we're back into the the seventies. Um, a pricey, uh for those who need it is that the cr- nobody listens the, to the woman, <laughs> the, and as a result, they all die. <laughs> well, there we go. All except the woman. So it, uh, it does end there quite happily. The crew of commercial. Um, hauling ship the Nostromo uh, are wakened early from their hypersleep to investigate a mysterious beacon coming from a planet. Down they go, um, pop the head in an egg. Doesn't go well for um, poor warrant officer. No, I don't think he is warrant officer. Third officer Kane. Anyway, John Hurt's character um, who comes up with a spider-like creature inserting itself into him. Uh, it turns about. Uh, I mean, if you don't know this, you're probably not listening to a podcast about film, to be honest. It turns out he is incubating a parasitic alien, which uh, gets very large quite quickly, pops its way out of John Hurt's chest, and proceeds to polish off the crew one by one. Mm-hmm. Uh, your summary was quicker, I must say. And, that, and that's pretty much it, yeah. Um... <laughs> that, is, that is pretty much the whole plot. Um it's, uh, we are back in the 70s, albeit only just, it's 79. It does uh, feel like it, I would say. this. I think we talked about this off-air, but it does feel a bit 
there's shades of the the new wave again it feels mm. like to me uh in that there's a sort of realism to it uh well i mean I, so, uh, several of the films we we tackled uh in earlier podcast episodes at this sort of time are i think sui generis um you know apocalypse now is its own thing that happens yes. to be made in the late 70s similarly raging bull um, but I think there, if you look at something like Dawn of the Dead, which I think looked pretty much the way people expected a film to look. Yes. You start to think, yeah, there, there is definitely something about that going on here. Yes. Yes, it has a fit. I mean, even the characterization. I mean, they haven't, it, uh, it's not to say it's dated. I wouldn't say it as dated, particularly, although that, you know, there are some slight 70s stylings going on. I mean, alien, and aliens have their own aesthetic, which I think is dated very well. Um, but uh, the way of filming, um, this kind of very claustrophobic feel within the Nostromo, uh, the pacing uh, also feels a bit 70s. Um, well, there, there and... are a couple of things that really struck me, uh, which I don't think I would have noticed. I hadn't noticed okay. on previous viewings. Um, but there is that scene... Where we've, I think we've got down to three of them alive. Uh, Ripley is saying, "Okay, we are going to blow up the ship. Yeah, we 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 now have to take this option. There are a few of us, few enough of us left that we can possibly take our chances on the shuttle." And you know, she's slightly off to the side of the screen. Other other cast members are out of focus in the background. They're, yeah. they're not directly mic'd. Their dialogue isn't really audible. You know, these days you'd obviously punch that up and and clean it up and make and so you can hear what they're saying. Um, that or is a you'd, very you'd play it up and have a shaky camera and make it look like a news footage. <laughs> but, but even then, you'd make sure they're you know, in frame facing the camera. Yeah, I, I would argue. That, I, that I find did it... feel to me like a lot of the new wave stuff we've seen of yes. the relatively uncommercial sort. I mean, this is Scott's second film, I think, as director. Yes, after Paths of Glory, oh, or, or is that? A... The Duelist, sorry, Pat of Glory, Stanley, Stanley Kubrick. Um, the Duelist did very well, though, so he was kind of rising high, Ridley Scott, at this point. Mm. Um, the, I, I agree, uh, just the way the camera sort of lingers on the uh, on the characters just doing their normal working stiff and, and uh, moaning, and, the, you know, the yeah, above I, I, and I below. I am a sucker for this. I mean, the things I yeah. like best in classic Doctor Who are where, you know, we've got working stiffs in space doing their thing before the monster shows up. I, I just love stories that do that. And how they play up the the kind of upstairs, downstairs bit with the, you know, the grease monkeys <laughs> down below, who are kind of creating the them and us situation. Um, it's... Uh, uh, I mean, it's, I have a... Uh, let, 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 let's not bury the lead. We both love this film. We both, we both love, love this film, well. absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, there's no spoilers. We we think both these films are masterpieces um, in their different ways. Um, I first encountered this film in the early 80s on VHS. My parents knew I liked science fiction. I don't know if I've mentioned this on Ribbon and Muse before, but I uh, they knew I liked science fiction. Um, so the first trip to the video shop, my mum came back with Blade Runner and Death Race 2. 2000 when I was <laughs> what was I eight? Um, it explains uh, so much. Yeah, um, it, they both got rapidly taken off, <laughs> and then I think she came back with Alien, <laughs> and that got taken off the TV as well. So I I had encountered this, but in a slightly terrifying way in a film that I probably shouldn't watch. So consequently, I ended up being more au fait with aliens, which I think hmm. is probably your experience too, in a different, in a more roundabout way. Um, well, not really. I, I just. 
didn't, for whatever reason, see Alien. Okay. Uh, at, well, okay. When it came out, I, I can't remember what the significant was, but it was, wasn't a film I got to see, whether for legal or just parental protection type reasons. I don't, was there was there a fifteen? To t- I think I, there was a fifteen. There wasn't a twelve, but yeah. But, um, but I, I read the novelisation, uh, Alan Dean Foster. Alan Dean Foster, of course. Uh, which, as I understand it, is based on an earlier version of the script without a lot of the cuts they made in the filming. Uh, right. It's it's many years since I read that. Um, but the one I saw first was Aliens. Yes. And then I, I saw this a few years later, and I, I think, well, we'll come back to this, I think that was a good way to see them, at least from my point of view. Because they are very different films. And if, they, if, they I, are if very I'd different. gone into well, two expecting it to be more of one, I would have been disappointed. If I'd gone into one thinking it was like two, I would also have been disappointed. Yeah, I uh, I think you're right. The pacing is very different. And again, I don't want to, it's probably better to compare the films when we do. But the pacing is quite slow in Alien. Mm. Um, well, yeah, we, and... We've got completely dialogue-free first five minutes. Yes, and that is—I mean—it's—it's it's wonderful to linger on the Nostromo. It does have slight shades of two thousand and one to me, which spoilers—I'm not a fan of two thousand and one particularly. I find it rather tedious. Maybe it was—maybe ex- it was interesting to watch in the cinema, but it just—it—it—it it, it loves the sets that it's created so much. Mm. Maybe if you watch the final sequence of two thousand and one on drugs, it's actually fun to watch. But uh, that <laughs> that no is actually how they advertised it after the initial box office wasn't looking too good. They, they yeah. hastily printed up new posters with the ultimate trip. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I, I, I uh, anyway, there, there are shades of two thousand and one in the way the Nostro- the sets of the Nostroma, which is a fantastic set. I mean, this was a completely closed set. Like you can see. As Sigourney Weaver's running through, she is almost bunking your head on the ceiling. You know, it, you mm-hmm. wanted to be able, Ridley Scott wanted to be able to see all four walls in a lot of the shots. He wanted it to be very claustrophobic ship. Well, um, I, I, th- I think in 2001 a bit, um, but the thing that really struck me, uh, because it was lodged in my head for other reasons, is Silent Running. Oh, which yeah. Is, yeah. So 1972. Um, yes. Douglas Trumbull does most of the visual work on that. And it has, yes. It's so much cleaner. That's the thing. I mean, yeah, we have a panel on the wall that is clearly a technical thing. Yes. But it is the one panel on the wall, and then there is blank wall around it. Whereas this, I mean, that cockpit in particular, oh my it god, is, yeah, it's... every flat surface has switches and buttons and levers on it, and that is just it's... perfect. It, it is the anti ergonomics Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. I, I was, well, we'll we'll come back to it. But as part of this, we watched them. Um, the inspiration for Alien, which is the, or, or one of the inspirations for Alien, which is it, exclamation mark, the terror from beyond space, mm-hmm. uh, which is set in the distant future of 1972. <laughs> I, I think it was filmed in the 50s. Uh, yeah, it came out uh, in 1954. Uh, and I, it was striking then, just looking at the instrument panel, they have like slightly submarines, but if there's a like an airlock thing, it just has one word that says like, override or whatever, I forget what it is, and that's it. That's the whole mm. wall. Here, you have a whole set of instructions. A bit like 2001's toilet, but it's for everything. Everywhere around looks used, and I suppose Star Wars was often praised as to look like a lived-in universe. Well, and I think both it does. Space 1999 and Star Wars, which are yes. more or less contemporary, uh, did, did a fair bit of that. I mean, the 1999 internal sets are fairly clean. But yes. for, for all the effects work, they went to some trouble to say, "Yeah, this is not a pristine thing. This, this, yeah. you know, this eagle or whatever." Um, people have been using it for years. The, the yeah. land speeder is all crunk, crunchy and old. Uh, 
I, I, I and, don't know. And this know. is this is the one. I mean, yeah, the, the, this was not the first dirty down space environment. I absolutely no. agree with you, but. My word, it is the most dirty down space environment. I think it really does feel like, uh, and the, uh, it, it's a bit there in Star Wars too, but the counterpoint between this sense of wonder we feel about this spectacular vehicle that can cross the distance of the space and them just, it's just utter routine to them. It's tedious. They, they, you know, uh, they hate it. They cooped up. I just, I love the counterpoint between that and the, the visuals. The, the set design is just absolutely keyed into that. Mm. You know, they're, they're not interested in all this stuff. They know exactly what it does. They've done it a hundred times before. Um, it's just, it's great. Yeah. The, the set design massively, the visuals massively add to that. And that's just the shit. We haven't come to Giga's. Uh, it, it, it's stuff. not even, not even the design per se. It, it's things like somebody puts down a coffee cup in a place that is clearly not a place you should put down a coffee cup. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That, that's the combination of set design and direction. Yeah. yeah. Low overhead panels that if you stick your head in to look at the switch, you'll be, you'll be knocking switches on the other side. Yeah. It, it's, as um, I say, it's, it's anti-ergonomics and it's beautiful. It's, it's cramped. It is. It's, it's wonderful. underlit. It's lived in. Yeah. And even the white hibernation chamber, which is probably the cleanest of the rooms yeah. we see, has textured walls. Yes. Not just yeah, flat. There's something, I mean, this is Ridley Scott is a very visual, I mean, he gave us Blade Runner, he gave us, uh, but the room that Mother's in looks like a kind of cathedral with candles all around. Mm -hmm. It's just visually wonderful. Um, And I guess I was a bit spoiled with that sort of thing when I was a kid, uh, but it is... Uh, yeah, uh, you can do all this with CGI, you can, but just you need the vision behind you it. You can make and... it look like whatever you like, but you need to know what you want to make it look like. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is, I don't know, I, I don't know how much people had seen documentaries when this came out, but, you know, I certainly immediately recognised this stuff as, you know, mining truck, oil platform, yeah, all that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, th- this is a working environment where, where your primary thing is to get the job done and then get off shift and go to sleep. Exactly. Uh, no one wants to be here, really. It's just what they're doing for a job. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah it, it, it's... I, I, I've called this working stiffs in space before. Yeah. Uh, I can't, well, okay, I mean, you could claim silent running is, but to me, this is again, the one that really dug into it hard. Yeah. I mean, you could almost, uh, maybe it's getting a bit excited, but I, I think both, it, we've got a lot of tolerance for just watching that stuff without the alien, mm-hmm. you know, I would watch, I don't know about a whole, I, I would enjoy a film set in this environment without, other science fiction elements, I suspect. But then we have um, Giga stuff on top of that. So we have this mm. entirely different aesthetic of this uh, Which happened more brain. or less by accident when uh, Dan O'Bannon was working on Jodorowsky's Dune, the, the famous yes. abandoned project, uh, and, and ran into him in Paris. I think there's an exhibition or something, something like uh, that, yeah. that he got dragged along to. But uh, yeah, and the, um, the, well, that that is the other huge aesthetic part of Alien. This really quite distinctive, organic, biological, mechanical, sexual imagery that Giger is. Uh, and I say, I mean, there's, there is a lot of, um, and I think quite deliberate when you look at the original drawings from um, some of Giger's work, that, you know, that the phallic shaped head mm-hmm. is really supposed to be a giant uh Spacecock. <laughs> they did tone it down. Um, and I, I want to talk more about the sexuality of it a bit, but I certainly think the imagery is deliberately 
sexual, but also it's functional. Like the way the face hugger, the face hugger is designed. It's got a tail because it needs to wrap around the victim. It's got mm-hmm. hands because it needs to clamp onto the head. It's got a... yeah. What, what do they do if, if they don't have a head with a neck? Well, it did occur to me. I you, mean, how you, would you wrap around a shark? Say, well. Yeah, I mean, there's flaws. Um, I mean, you probably wouldn't want to stick your proboscis in a shark's mouth, to be honest. Either. Um, so there's probably face huggers that uh, that didn't work out. But it is it's it's functional as well as aesthetic. Um, uh, so I, you know, his but his imagery is. Um, I mean, it is disturbing. There's something profoundly disturbing about Giga's work. Sorry, I will attempt to pronounce it correctly. Throughout. There's something. Pro- profoundly disturbing about his imagery uh the ickiness of it uh that then is played up by the filmmakers that i, I don't know i i have never I, to be honest most people have never seen anything like it well we've seen a lot of things like it since mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's been so influential but before that there, there really was nothing like it um and I, I just mean his aesthetic, not not the alien specifically but just from the minute they get down onto that planet and they see the the ship from there it just it it starts to enter the realm of nightmare alien in a, in a really mm. uh, beautiful way um and to think this was very nearly a Roger Corman film yeah <laughs> oh, I, do, I, do. I, I don't knock Roger Corman but he yeah, wouldn't have made yeah. this <laughs> no he wouldn't no i mean it really did need to be honest the the, the combination of you know Dan O'Bannon um oh, I've forgotten the co-writer sorry yeah, wrong choice it uh, Roger, uh, they're, they're writing Ridley Scott. I mean, really, uh, I don't want to lionize people, and Ridley Scott, God knows, has made some terrible films, but you know, he, uh, visionary, <laughs> um, just his vision, his, his real visual aesthetic, tying, t- tying it all together, getting Giga and, um, Ron Cobb, Cobb. Uh, Ron Cobb, um, and, and Mobius. Just, it just is, it's just perfect for the film. Uh, mm. before we even get to the, the acting, but I think just I, I, we're going on about the visuals perhaps more than we do in any other film because they really are quite striking in Alien. Yeah, this is not because they're the only thing to watch. It's just they are really right. Yeah, um, yeah. It is a constrained environment. I mean, mm. they they built three sets: the ship, the planet surface, and the egg chamber. Yeah, and then they realised we we need the um, control room of of the alien ship as well. Uh, but they only, they only had the budget for one wall of that, so they put the tr- they put the uh, chair on on a swivel <laughs> okay yes yeah that's it oh right yeah um i think even then they were filming it before giga was happy about it being ready um uh but these are I, basically i think it's fair to say this was a group of perfectionists you know ridley scott giga um uh, the actor the, the other difference in alien compared to a lot of science fiction up to this point you know star wars had alec guinness as a notable actor, but a lot of the others were unknowns. But here in Alien, these are these are um, well known. Or... All, all but one of them are established actors at this point. Yes, yeah, they're all, uh, and the one, of course, is Sigourney Weaver, who would go on to become a greatly established. I actor. mean, three, three of these people we have seen in other films. Though I, th- I think they were all later ones. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton in Paris, Texas, of course. Um, yes, Ian Holm in Dance with a Stranger. And yes. I will admit I didn't spot her, uh, Veronica Cartwright, as Betty Grissom in The Right Stuff. 
Yes, that's true. She was. Uh, you you pointed that out to me, and I still not the most memorable uh, character to be fair in the right mm-hmm. stuff. Um, uh, but also, I mean, I have in my watch through because I started a little earlier than the podcast started. I've seen Tom Skerritt crop up in Mash. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about Mash. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, I, I love the anyway. I won't get into it. Um, but yes, yeah, so he'd he'd cropped up in it. Um, yeah, fact, Koto. I knew more from um, later on. He was in Homicide Life in the Street, I think. Uh, but they're all. But, but he ha- he had been the big villain in um, Live and Let Die. Uh, Live so... and Let Die, yes, as yeah. well. But they're all very respected and, frankly, very good actors, and they're all doing a great job here. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, they all convince you very quick. You know, when they're waking up, very quickly you get you get. I mean, they are the characters are stereotypes. As it is often the way when you've only got you know ninety minutes, two hours to tell a story, um, and it is not directly about the characters. You often do slightly resort to stereotypes, but they're they're all two dimensional at least, mm. three dimensional in some in some ways. But yeah, I mean we do have the stereotypical you know grease monkeys uh, whining about pay, um, and uh, you know the the captain um, just sort of towing the party line, just wants to get home. Um, He's a really pretty rubbish captain. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) he's probably fine for... I mean, what what we don't see, and fair enough, uh, is the normal operations of a ship like this. Yeah. It seems to me what you would probably get is, you know, you, you clamp onto the load, you tell the computer to set off in the right direction, and then you, then you get into the, into the freezer. Yeah, and then you I, come out of the freezer, I, and, and there's somebody to cl- take the load off again. The, these are, I mean, they they have to be able to fix things if something goes wrong. Yeah, but you know, they they are not. Most most of their working lives are spent in the freezer. I feel because yeah, know, I, a, I a ship that's not agree. moving is a ship that's not making money. Yeah, so. and, and this this will all be computer controlled. Even even the computers we see in Alien, and, and they are well, really an, just an awful lot of it isn't. Tanker. To be fair, I mean. Um, Looking at the, the amount of cooperation it needs among yeah. them to land on the planet. Uh, all right, this, well, is, this isn't a ship that's designed for a lot of planetary landings, but it has landing legs. You know, somebody thought this might be a thing. This is a, this slightly dates it, I suppose. The uh, more than anything is that the computers, in the sense that uh, we have a technological starfaring civilization with uh, 1980s, uh, 1970s computing technology. I don't have a problem with that. I, I never do. No, either. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not complaining about it. I it's mean, just... yeah, we, we're using CRTs, but well, actually, no, we're not really. Because um, obviously they, they use CRTs for the actual filming, but um, they, they're embedded into the console, so you can't really see what's going on there. I mean, they could be flat screens, you just don't know. It is sometimes a little jarring when they cut from an actual CRT screen to then what is clearly an animated sequence. Oh, of, for, for uh, Mother in particular, yeah. Oh, for Mother in particular. Yeah, um, uh, and for example, I, I think either the the input text or the replies was meant to be underlined, um, but they forgot to tell the animator which was which, so he just uh, did it more or less at random. Yes, yes. Uh, well, that, on to the, I, I guess... Um, we haven't talked much about the story. Um, uh, this one. Uh, well, let's uh, let's move on to the story a bit. Right, so this <laughs> is it starts as a mystery, uh, which then becomes now. Alien is often described as a haunted house movie in space. I don't, I, I mean I I don't know whether it's useful to even use labels like that anyway. But mm-hmm. I, I, to me, haunted house films don't 
pick off the characters one by one in an environment that they can't escape from. It, well, to me, it's more there, like a there was a movie. subgenre that did. Um, I'm, I've been trying to track down the titles because I've certainly come across these before. Uh, I thought it was the old dark house, but it isn't. Don't see the old dark house; it's rubbish. Um, Maybe the house on Haunted Hill or the, the Haunting no, of Hell Hill. I'm, I'm thinking 1920s, 1930s. Um, right. The the basic plot is you know rich uncle moneybags has died and says that and, and um, invites all his unpre- unpleasant relatives to to come and stay in the house, and if any of them make it through the night, then they then they will get the house. All right. Yeah. So fair enough. That's but. That and and, and who, whoever's murdering them one at a time, you know that 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 is that thing. It, it's, that, it's so it's that. Well, I agree. I mean, basically, that is the asset. Basically, once once the alien is released, then it becomes a the crew are picked off until one one survives. Um, the, the thing is, I mean, we we know that uh, Scott at least took an interest in this because he'd seen Star Wars and thought, you know, large scale effects driven films have potential. Um, yes. we, we know that O'Bannon got the interest he did in the script when Star Wars came out rather than, yeah, he had actually worked on something computer animation for Star Wars. Um, yes, yeah. And yeah, the studios were saying, right, let, let, let us get us a chunk of that Star Wars money. Yes, let's do anything with science fiction. There was a period where anything, which is why a lot of the early 80s was science fiction, I, <laughs> I guess. But, but it's not um, your shooty Star Wars science fiction. No, it was um, very different. That I think w- of... will have surprised people. I, well, I think it's fair to say this is ultimately a horror film. Mm. Um, that, that's uh, I certainly which, agree with. Uh, and we, I don't know if we've covered a horror film before on Ribbon of Memes, particularly. Not one doesn't spring to mind. I don't know really, well, how you count zombies. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Yes, all right, that's fair enough. I, I, I you were certainly horrified by Stand by Me as well. Um, but uh, okay, yeah, all right. The, but this is. Um, uh, it's a very, I mean, we, sorry, I'm, I'm casting around here. There, there are some differences here. Uh, I don't know if we've had much body horror, though we, we've also talked about the thing as well. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, I'm talking nonsense. But we have, you know, in, well, in Alien. I, I, I think it's one of those things like, like, um, you, know, you talk about early, early motor cars and people are going to talk about Henry Ford more, more than uh, Ben's. Yes, Ford didn't make the first car, but he made the first car that people could actually afford to buy. Yes, yes. In, in, in numbers. Uh, well, I guess we were talking about um, uh, the influence of Star Wars, which I guess more people talk about than Alien, but only just... Um, <laughs> I don't know that this film is particularly influenced by Star Wars, aside from the lived-in aesthetic, but it's certainly probably fair to say it wouldn't have existed at least in the form it did, if Star Wars hadn't uh, turned up. The script was certainly floating around before Star Wars was made. Yeah. Um, but, as you say, it wasn't getting much interest. There, There is one thing. Um, Ripley is often described as one of the prototypical final girls. I mean, there, there are a few films before this. With, with some of a claim to it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for example. But Halloween, maybe. Yeah, um... There is a thing that Scott wanted to do, uh, which got cut completely out of the film, and I think it's a very good thing, which was the idea that all the cast would have just casually slept with each other because, you know, that's what you do, it's a, it's a long trip, etc. And yes. also, you know, it's the 70s and people think that's what the future's going to be like. Yes. Except for Ash. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, the one thing that re- that remains of that is, is talking about, you know, I don't really know Ash, yeah, I don't really know you either. Um yeah. 
if that had been the case, then it would be quite clear that Ripley is not a final girl because one of the key things about that is she's the final girl is the one with, with the uh, greatest sexual morality. Yes, yes. So... I suppose, I mean, that is pretty much expunged from this game. That, uh, you, you would have thought a lot of films would have had Dallas and Ripley as an item, and mm-hmm. there isn't really. In fact, I think that was in the script and they, they actually paired it back to the point where you can imagine it, but there isn't. Uh, there isn't really anything there other than they clearly know each other a bit. Yeah. Um, suppose, I've, I've heard various things about this. Um, some, some sources say that, um, Scott changed Ripley to female. Uh, other sources, uh, particularly the original casting call, um, says basically here are the parts, but, um, anybody of whatever sex is welcome to read for any of the parts. Now, what I read, um, or at least saw in the documentary on Alien, was that they had, it was written as an all-male cast, mm-hmm. but they put little asterisks that basically said, any one of these can be turned into a female to increase box office potential. Mm-hmm. I think when they put that, they had not expected Ripley to be the one that became a, fe- uh, a, mm-hmm. a female protagonist. And I forget... It may have been Harlan Ellison who suggested, at least in the documentary, but Harlan Ellison does get around a bit, so I might be misremembering. Um, but we'll someone claim all sorts suggest- of things. Uh, yes, he will. Um, but I'm not going to say anything about the famously litigious Harlan Ellison. Um, even from beyond the gravy, maybe. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, it, w- it was then suggested to them, uh, why not make the protagonist female? And so I believe the script that... Ridley Scott received already had Ripley as a female protagonist mm. at that point. It, it's certainly clear that Lambert was always a very emotional character. Yes. And uh, as I understand it, Veronica Cartwright thought she'd got the part of Ripley and then turned up on set. You'd be a bit disappointed to end up with no, Lambert. Uh, yeah, she, she wasn't happy with that. And basically, Scott convinced her that, yeah, this, that you are the audience identification figure. You're scared, they're scared. And I guess, but. <sighs> I do, I do think the character's kind of let down. To be fair, she's consistent. I mean, the freezing up and dying is completely consistent with what she has done up to this point. Oh yeah, yeah, she's she's flaky. And she's, uh, frankly, she's a bit of an irritating character as well. I mean, we're all scared. Um, but, uh, the other thing is they're all a bit older, uh, than was usual for leading roles at the time. I mean, they're in the 30s and 40s. They're like traveller characters who've done it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's an RPG reference. Um, but they just do one term too many uh, and made their ageing role, fortunately. Um, we have slightly danced around. Well, we haven't danced around it. We haven't got to it yet, um, even though we're half an hour. Um, the chest burst sequence, which is, I think, where Alien stops being... I mean, it was already an interesting film. Then it just becomes a... A kind of a holy shit at that point, you know. Mm. I, I can't remember. It's such an iconic scene now, it's hard to think back to how it felt at the time. And even then, I was expecting it. But it, even now, that is a shocking scene. Um, you're kind of waiting for it. It, it. it lends attention to it when you're waiting for it. I, I don't know how it would be if you weren't expecting it. But mm. it is a, it's an amazing scene. Um, it is also, I don't know, for me, on this watch somewhat immediately let down by the very cute puppets uh, followed afterwards. I, I know it's not yeah. supposed to be, and I know they do their best, but it's it it, it looks like a glove puppet, because that's what it is. Yeah, it's... After, after we've seen the facehugger, 
in particular, yeah. which is just a beautiful piece of visual design. It's yeah. just kind of disappointing. I, I don't believe it was designed by Giga. I think he ran out of time and was working on the space joke, so I believe it was designed by... Uh, well, the the I, same I mean, shape could work if it were a better model. I, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's more let down by the brilliance of all the other models, mm. but it stands out as... It looks like someone moving their arm through the table. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that's actually what it was, I don't know. But it, that was like, and I do. The, the alien... other thing that did occur to me, having a certain amount of more practical experience than I did when I first saw this, is there really ought to be an awful lot more blood. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, if that's gone right through his aorta, which it's assumed to be, but still. That is uh, one of cinema's all-time great scenes. That the slightly—I mean, to be honest, it, you can only watch that in cold blood now that, and be slightly let down by the beast. Because mm. the first time you watched it, you would still be in shock. I think, um, yeah, from what just happened to John Hurt. Um, so I, I, I think that is why perhaps it, it it gets away and is not is not as a as much of a letdown as it may be the, yeah. the, the glove puppet scene. I, I don't um, think it's a failure. I I do think there was just that slight. I mean, as I've I've said before, uh, Stephen King's thing about when you see the monster, there's always the really slight tempering with a sense of relief that it wasn't worse or bigger or whatever. <laughs> exactly, and Alien does that very well in the actual the actual Alien. You really don't see very much until mm. the just like the shark in Jaws. Um, again. And there are moments, there are a few scenes in Alien. I remember when we were doing The Thing, John Carpenter, you know, he was saying Alien is amazing, but ultimately it's a guy in a suit and he really didn't want a guy in a suit. And there are some scenes in Alien where it is quite clearly a guy in a suit. A very tall guy. I mean, this was... Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to complete uh, Balaji, but I can't even read my own writing here, but he was a Nigerian, extremely tall Nigerian. Mm-hmm. Um Tall and thin. Tall and thin and uh, unusual body shape. But it still, ultimately, in some scenes, looks a bit like a guy in a suit. Yeah, I mean, that that's some of the good reason for keeping it dark, keeping it off screen a lot of the time. And, you know, just as, as in the, the, the cliché of Jaws, what you don't see can be a lot more scary than what you do see. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and speaking of kind of what you don't see, um, some of the best scenes in the film... Uh, I mean, to me, I think we both found this one of the standout set pieces for me, which I remembered being very good. But coming back to it, um, I, I thought was actually one of the standout, probably a bit eclipsed by um, John Hurt popping it. But uh, Dallas in the air ducts is just a, mm. a spectacular masterclass of tension. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the characters... two the two set pieces you might say are the egg yes. burst and the chest burster, and then maybe yes. the final yes. battle. But that doesn't yes. doesn't feel as much of the look at the neat thing we did. Um, but that duct scene is really good. It's tense. It's effective. You can see exactly what's going on, even though you can't see anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you feel. I mean, we talked about Lambert as a viewpoint character, but in that moment, you're with Dallas in the air. I'm mm-hmm. like, what? Where is it? Were well, you saying it's here? But I can't. And it's just, it's just perfect. Um, the pacing of the film we've talked about because we're talking about the plot now. The pacing is, uh, I, I am a very tolerant of slow pacing in some cases. I, I don't think you felt the thing was slow in places, which I don't, I don't feel that. I did feel on rewatch Alien is slow in places. That's interesting. Um, the, thing, 
the impression I got was, yes, stuff is happening slowly, but unlike some other films, it is effectively maintaining tension during that slowness. Except, I mean, there, there is a bit towards the end, you know, after the ducts, when, when they're going off in, in their single and pair to, to do the final things. Yes. That, then I felt it's, it slacked a bit. But other than that, I really didn't. I suppose for me, I'm thinking of particularly Harry Dean Stanton's death. I, mm-hmm. fit, I mean, I must say, one of the visual images, it's Ridley Scott, you know, striking visuals, something that has always stuck in my mind, I don't even know why, is, is Harry Dean Stanton, Brett, the engineer, standing under the water and letting it drip onto his, um, or whatever it is, don't know for sure that it's water, letting it drip onto his um, baseball cap. I don't know why, I just that is a really striking visual image to me. But that whole scene is a bit slow. We've already had a jump scare with the cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one, again one of is, the early it, spring-loaded cats, not, I think, one the, of the early. First, and but... again, slightly... Alien didn't need to do that. It feels <laughs> slightly cheap. Um, no, that's got a spring-loaded kid instead. <laughs> um, but I did find that was a bit slow. Um, I love the mystery. I love the mystery of the, the opening. I love the... Oh, another scene we both found striking. Well, not striking, but interesting was... Um, Ash and Ripley. Mm. Well, um, so I, I think that that comes in two parts, really, because first of all, we've got the you know here are three of us in the airlock, one of us is injured. Uh, yeah. The captain in the airlock is saying, "Screw the quarantine, let us in, otherwise this guy may die." Yeah. And Ripley is being the cold, heartless, no, no quarantine procedure says twenty four hours. Yes. And Dallas is clearly in the standard sci fi hero role at that point. I mean, yeah, that's what yeah. Captain Kirk would have done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then later, the the one you're talking about, um, Ash and Ripley arguing. Yeah, it, it, it's Ash who eventually does let them in. Um, yes, and it's painted as she is the cold, heartless bitch, and he is the warm, friendly, emotional guy. Yeah, and it really isn't, and that is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, he's, and that is some. Fantastic acting from them both, but particularly Ian Holm, just getting across his kind of inner emotions. Uh, and he must, he kind of had a lot to work with because he knew he was an android, but just getting across his kind of irritation, how to talk to this person while he's mm-hmm. trying to get, it's, it's a beautifully played, and it's quite underplayed. You know, they're not having a stand-up row. It could have been Ripley coming in, what the fuck was all that about? But it was, it was nicely underplayed. She, she just subtly mentioned it. It's a really nice scene. I mean, the characters in this are, are really... They're, I, I they're, they're not them. deep, but they're, they're plausible. Yes. You get yes, the feeling I... that there might be more to them, even though you don't actually have time to see it. And, as you said before, they're consistent. They're all consistent um, throughout the film. Um, and I like the way you're uh, probably... Again, I might be misreading You're probably slightly misled into thinking Dallas is the hero. He's doing all the hero-y stuff. Mm-hmm. He's a terrible captain because he's in the James Kirk mould um, of uh, I'll do it. Um, but it doesn't work and he gets killed. Well, that, um, that, that's another reason the casting of Weaver is interesting because uh, she's the least known person. If, if you started with, you know... How well do I know each of these actors? And, the, and the, the one who's most famous is probably going to be the one who lives to the end. The only one you would absolutely not have picked at that point is Weaver. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, they're all to, phenomenal. To be fair, yeah. that that wasn't the plan. Again, this is a, a thing Ridley Scott wanted to do that he didn't get to, because uh, convention at the time was a horror film has a downer ending. And what he originally wanted to do was um, 
the alien bites off Ripley's head and makes the final log entry in her voice. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, I mean, that's also in keeping with the new wave stuff that mm-hmm. we've been thinking about as well. It, it would be a very... Uh, though imagining the alien... I don't know, that that would have been a terrible ending, wouldn't it? I, it the, the I think it would have been less satisfying, and, I, and certainly there wouldn't have been a sequel. Even, I mean, apart from the unavailability of Ripley. Um mm. Well, it didn't stop a brilliant four, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I think you're right. That would have been a, I, I, and he was he was determined to do, but I think was uh, talked out of the ending on threat of getting fired, which is probably <laughs> a good thing. Um, it's so that I mean that, that we've the, the plot isn't really much more than we've described. Really, there's this horrible alien. It, it moves around and it kills everyone. Um, until... I, I did feel the deaths of Parker and Lambert. I don't know with with. Uh... Brett, as you say, I mean, I, I didn't find that as, as lacking intention as you do. With Parker and Lambert, it just felt, okay, you are just clearly being manoeuvred into this now. Yeah, you know, the, I the, did the, feel the like... levers are showing for me. I I agree. Compared to, uh, I mean, who have we had die so far? We've had uh, John Hurt, who has one of the most spectacular movie deaths ever. Um, we have Dallas, who we just talked about. We love that scene. Although, that isn't technically his final scene uh, as filmed. Hmm. Um, we have Ash. We've had the reveal of the androids, um, which is uh, again, it's it's a total, it's totally out of left field as well. And I don't think yeah, Ash that, that's was in another the thing. Script. I think is uh, no, he wasn't. Um, that's another thing that, that uh, I think is a bit of a new wave influence. Uh, you know, no, nobody bothers to mention that. Oh yeah, there are androids, and oh yeah, the company has a bioweapons division. Yeah, exactly. it's just they all know it. We can figure it out from what's happening on the screen. So it's not it's not sort of laid out in that. So mm-hmm. There's no there's no Chekhov's android in Alien. He just turns out to be an android. But again, he has a spectacular finish. Um, Brett, yeah, I mean we talked about, it, but it, he's the really the one where we realise the true horror of the alien. And then yeah, we get to um, Lambert and Parker's death, and it does feel a bit like. Oh, we need to get rid of these two now. Yeah, mm. I, I agree. I, I do agree that. Not that saying it's bad, but after the wonderfulness of the others. Yeah, it's um, it's felt it. Um, and then I guess we're down to the the finals. I got a few issues with the final. This is a very nerdy uh, point. Yeah, I, I do remember a, a gaming write up of the alien uh, sometime in the early to mid eighties, where it was explicitly given the skill hide in little bitty place until heroin is down to her underwear. Yeah, just, I mean, I know, apparently Sigourney Weaver was very keen on getting into a completely nude, um, because, you know, the alien's nude, uh, and it felt like a new, I just, the way it's filmed. The camera is kind of fond of her backside. It's, I mean, it's a very nice backside. It's but... my five-year-old daughter's knickers for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it feels a little prurient and gratuitous. Yeah. Like if if Tom Skerritt had ended up, if Dallas had ended up at the end, I don't think we would have been in his tiny whiteies. You know, mm. it, it, I I just uh, I I it feels unnecessary. Um, I it did have an effect on me as a child, as a as a, as a young not as a child, but as a young man. <laughs> um, but uh, I I must say it feels uncomfortable now. The other issue, slight issue I have with that scene is what kind of shuttle has a bunch of dangerous gases and you, and you just <laughs> press the button, oh, I'll try the nitrous oxide now, alright, let's try the it, it seems mm. like an odd odd choice to have them venting into a, a cupboard next to your next to where your pilot sits but 
Yeah, though, uh, though if, if we're talking about the ergonomics, I, I would like to mention the um, self-destruct sequence. Yes, of course. With with a sequence like that, I mean, it's it, again, it's a beautiful piece of visual design, probably Ron Cobb. Um, yes, the the whole. Yeah, There's a real here, physicality here is the, to it, isn't there? It's, but also, here is the actual set of instructions that you follow, because obviously you don't yes. have this memorised. You weren't expecting to blow up the ship this morning. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but the way this sort of thing usually happens, um, this kind of big irrevocable thing, is you make it very easy to start. Yeah. And Sorry, very hard to start, very easy to stop. So You wouldn't have thought you'd make it even harder to turn off than it is to turn on. It's true. She and gets the, the other thirty thing is, seconds to spare. There should be a big red button that says stop. Yeah, and and if you know, if you had to open all four valves, as it were, to start it, then closing one of the valves should at least get you some more time. I agree, but it's very cinematic, isn't it? I, I yeah. agree, though. I mean, these are kind uh, of. I, I will nerdy, look. But... There is a gorgeous blog and book called Typeset in the Future. Yes. Uh, where the guy has gone over this obsessively, and he's also looked at the individual symbols on that on that keypad, and, yeah. and discovers there's a crucial difference in the French translation <laughs> and the English <laughs> translation. And there's a very uh, that would be worth going in the show notes. That's a fantastic um, uh, article. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, other thing that I think is worth mentioning. Um, yes, we, we've talked occasionally about the Bechdel test before. Yes, and in the original strip uh, from 1985. Um, Alien is explicitly called out as a pass. Yeah, it's not though, is I it? I mean, don't completely agree. Um, I mean, I yes, mean, there, to, are, to there clarify... are two women who are, who are in the same scene at the same time, but they are talking as part of a general conversation as opposed to to each other. Well, so to, to clarify, the Bechdel test he's got to be two named female characters having a conversation. Well, it wasn't even named originally. Okay, we've changed that. Uh, having a conversation about something that isn't a man, mm-hmm. um, uh, and. Uh, the only pass we've had so far for reference is uh, Night of the Living Dead, and that was three lines of dialogue. There is a scene um, in the script uh, in which Ripley and Lambert talk to each other about what went on on the planet, uh, but I don't believe that was ever filmed. Well, I, I was expecting this to be a Bechdel passer, partially because it's supposed to be, um, and partially because we have two named female characters in a very claustrophobic setting. I wouldn't, I mean, to me, yes, shouting at each other over a meeting where other people are shouting to doesn't feel, I mean, it's not for us to say what's a pass or not, but it doesn't feel like a significant moment in cinema that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and we'll come back to this, I'm, I'm sure, a lot in future episodes, um, a, a pass is not a, not a, Guarantee that the film is sufficiently feminist to fail is not a guarantee that it isn't, though. It's not, it's not a exactly. good sign. Um, it's, a, it's a bare minimum. I mean, uh, it really. does treat its female characters as characters. Yes, it does. Um, they, they, they are much more so in the film we're about to discuss, um, but they are, they're characters who happen to be female. One of their characteristics is they're female. Um, yeah, as opposed to, li- you know, the engineer, the pilot, the girl, the way a lot, yes, a lot exactly. of films would do it. Uh, like, uh, and let's not talk about it, the terror from beyond. Yeah, where, where, it, where it, one of the two female characters appears to be there to make the coffee. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. Uh, the other one at least gets to be a doctor, because that, mm-hmm. that presumably is something. Um, are, I'm going to slightly segue on from that to a, a more awkward topic. You know, um, Alien, uh, and it's, it's, it's a related topic on feminism, I suppose. Alien is often talked about as a film with a strong subtext of rape. And particularly male rape, uh, presumably because John Hurt gets um, deep throated by the face hooker mm. um, and implanted with a, a being 
horror of horrors that, that that someone could have a being living in, inside them when they're a man. I I I find that the, the whole idea that it's been sort of fixated on as male rape, I find vaguely offensive, and that one of the true, that also one of the true horrors is of being a man is that you could have another being living inside you. It does that's... feel a bit, you know. We, we we know there are these mysterious creatures that that that, that have other creatures inside them and, and and don't die of it and maybe we'll meet one one day. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it, there's there's a kind of it seems to be coming from a, a sort of a a male oriented perspective that the true horror of that. But I suppose further to that to me, rape doesn't enter into it. I, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, a, a parasitic biological... wasp is not raping its host. Exactly. This is a parasite. This is a creature which implants its embryo into your body, which then feeds off you and pops out again. I don't see where rape comes in. Rape to me is a, a different... Well, it's a crime that humans commit against each other because they're they're denigrating um, and extracting pleasure non-consensually. It's not... It's treating people as things. It's treating people as things. While, um, while remembering that they're people because if you had just had a thing, then it wouldn't be fun. Yeah. Exactly. And although, uh, sadly, you know, completing the reproductive cycle is occasional side effect of rape, it is not the purpose of it. Whereas the alien is, is doing what it has to to complete its parasitic life cycle. I, mm. I, now, I'm not, I don't think people have read too much into this in the sense that I think genuinely that was an overt, Thing that was I, I suspect script. it was in Giga's mind, at least. Uh, yeah, certainly, in, and I think probably in Dan O'Bannon. Uh, I, I, I'm sure he's talked about it as, as a. Re- but to me, I, it's com- a confusion between parasitism and rape, and, and to, so I never found it. I've always had a more, uh, I don't know, biologist mindset, and certainly mm. nowadays, understanding parasitic life cycles, I, I wouldn't exactly as you say. A parasitic wasp doesn't rape a caterpillar; it implants its eggs into it. Um, it's no, it's no more pleasant, but it doesn't have the undertones of rape. I, I just find that a strange topic. And I, I think uh, it may say more, more about the critics who, who see this than perhaps uh, the, the original text. Particularly David Bishop, when we get into aliens and he gets some <laughs> very strange ideas about what's going on. Um, but yeah, okay, a final time. Uh, that that was my point. I mean, overall with Alien, I, um, have I got any more notes that I wanted to say about Alien? I mean, we we have been saying how much we like it. I've said a very few slight things about the pacing and the special effects, but overall, it's a bloody good film. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, really very good indeed. Yes. I, I've, yeah. I've said before, I think, I don't really have a top ten, but there are films I love, and this is one of them. Mm. And so is Aliens. Alien. Speaking of it, so this was a, a reasonably long turnaround for a sequel because this was seven years. Maybe it seems longer because I was young at the time and I was sort of waiting for it. But Aliens came out seven years later. Well, I think Alien made decent money, but it wasn't, you know, top of the year or anything. No. Uh, yes. So they were. They had been thoughts about sequels, but they, there wasn't any rush to it. I mean, after this, Rid- Ridley Scott went off and worked on that doomed Dune project. <laughs> oh bless him uh, okay and, and made Blade Runner of course after that fell apart That's, uh... it was a good few years for Ridley Scott um, as we mentioned Aliens I'd like to do a little fanfare here if we can if the special effects, if special effects budget will fit to it
because we genuinely have a Bechdel test passer. No mm-hmm. question, hands down. This has multiple female characters. Um, Dietrich, uh, Dietrich uh, Vasquez, Ripley, Newt, um, all of whom... Uh, I've missed one, haven't I? Um, the pilot, Pharaoh. Uh, uh, Pharaoh. They... Um, they all talk to each other in different environments. None of them are talking about a man. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are talking about Ripley. Some of them are talking about each other. Yeah, I there mean, are... some people have argued that the aliens count as men. I think that's a stretch. But at the very least, um, Pharaoh and Vasquez talking about Ripley, who's Snow White. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's yeah. clearly a pass. It's not a long conversation, but it's a pass. And Ripley and Vasquez talking about, you know, I hope you're right that this really is a pushover. Oh my god, that's an amazing scene. Um, well, alien, it's so, brief, but it counts. It, uh, and again, Newt. Uh, again, you could uh, you could argue Newt is a minor, and maybe it doesn't count. But they are two females mm. talking about uh, definitely not about men. The extremely uh, dangerous situation that they're in, which is yeah, let's face exactly. it, a reasonable thing to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, I I think, our hands down, unequivocal first ever ribbon of memes. Absolutely definite Bechdel test mm-hmm. passer, which. And I'm proud to say, uh, of the ones that have come close, we had Night of the Living Dead and Alien, and now this is a definite passer. They're all genre movies. Mm-hmm. So, in your face, other films, this is why <laughs> I'm a geek. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I'm a geek. Um, I, I don't know if we need to do a brief summary of Aliens, but uh, basically Ripley, the survivor of the uh, Nostromo, um, taken back aboard the Nautilus. She's been asleep 57 years. Um there's now a colony been established on the planet that uh, she discovered uh, or her crew discovered the eggs on. They are sent out unbeknownst to anyone else by Carter Burke to go and investigate the location uh, of the alien. Um, they bring back a face hugger, it overtakes the colony. Um, a whole squad of colonial marines, um, tough as nuts, are going to go and deal with it. They do not do very well. Ripley uh, once again proves herself to be made of sterner stuff. Um, than anyone else there and keeps ahead when all the rest losing theirs and escapes. Um, mm-hmm. Again, one of my favourite films of all time. I'm pretty sure it's one of yours as well. Yep. Roger. Yep. Uh, yeah, as, as I say, I, I did see this one first. Uh, it's a hugely different. It's no, it's not controversial. It's a hugely different beast. Haha, to Alien. And he went. I, I, James Cameron, who. Uh, was this was off the back of the Terminator that he got this gig, uh, mm-hmm. which we may talk about uh, and on. Um, just took it in from well, I, I don't think many people would like absolutely the right direction. What do you do when you've had a claustrophobic horror film? Well, it's it's kind of the you know a lot of people are like uh, feel that sequels are oh it's the same only bigger. Well, this isn't the same, but it is bigger. Um, the the well, I, I think it was generally line. held that the way the way you would normally do a sequel at the time was um, basically the same idea, but more of it. Exactly. Canonically, um, Ghostbusters 2 would be the same mm-hmm. thing, only again. Um, but ultimately, when you do that, it's not very good. I, I don't. When did The Empire Strikes Back come out? It was 82, wasn't it? Uh, uh, no, no, I think it was earlier. Uh... 81, 80, maybe it was 80. But that, that was the classic film. I mean, that was a film that was always intended. Well, it was the middle part of a trilogy. So it had a very different job to do. 
to most sequels. Mm. This is not that. This is uh, a very different idea. It is a, a, a standalone sequel. You don't need any more. In fact, in many ways, we wish there weren't any more. Um, it, it completes... Well, it, it sets up a story arc for Ripley in particular. Yes, And it, it completes that arc. And it has, unlike Alien, I suppose, it has at least nods to character development. And we may have different opinions in Hollywood uh, than Hollywood as to what a character needs as a character arc and whether you need a lot of character development. Certainly in Alien there isn't much to speak of and it's a bloody good film. Um, but the fact that Ripley does have this... To me, it, it gels for me her, uh, her story arc of motherhood and of... Uh, I find that compelling. Um, I, I think yeah, maybe I you have think... different ideas about it. Particularly coming to this, having just watched Alien, mm. where Scott is making sure that you, you can find out everything you need to know, but you're going to have to work for it. And yes. here, you know, particularly in the... Oh, I, I think it's fair to say we both watched the director's cut this time. I, I do think that's the better version oh, yes. of the film in most respects. Yeah, um, we can have a chat about it, but yes. So, we, so you know, we, we set it all up. Um, you know, here is... Yeah, Ripley gets home and discovers that, that her daughter has died of old age while she was cryopreserved. Yes. And then she meets Newt. And there's obviously, I mean, they, they don't make it explicit because that would be really stupid even for Hollywood. But yes. there is obviously a certain amount of missing mother, missing daughter going on. Yes. Yeah. I, it's heavy handed. It's more heavy handed than I mean, Scott. similarly, um, Cameron sets up that damn power loader. Yes, he it's does. A good, he, he's competent. It's a good scene in itself. You know, yes, I'm proving myself to the Marines. I can actually do something. I'm not just the civilian consultant. Yes. But it's also set up. It, it, it's very, but it's, uh, it's very economical with all of that as well, mm. in, in a mm. sense. A bit like Jaws in a way that it's, um, every scene serves a purpose, which is why I feel it doesn't suffer from the pacing issues, the slight pacing issues. I had with Alien. I, I would uh, agree, even in the longer version. Yeah, it does. It does not drag. I mean, it is the longer version. The special edition we watched two and a half hours, something uh, like that. It does not. I mean, there's. Uh, I would go to for me. Aliens is. I mean, it's an action. We talked about Alien as a horror. It's not controversial to say Aliens is an action film. Um, well, to, to it, a large extent, it, it's specifically a Vietnam military film. Well, yeah, we went, I, we'll, 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 I we'll come back to that because we have a Vietnamathon in the pipe. We have got a Vietnamathon. <laughs> uh, um, it's uh, in in a lot of ways, it is the perfect action film for. Me. We talked about the Dallas set piece, and the reason it works is because you know what's at stake, you know what's going on, you know you're there with Dallas, you're you're scared for him. Mm-hmm. For me, the whole of Aliens is like that. Yeah. Every scene, you know. Who's in it, you know and like these characters. They're likable, crucially, which is something Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection forgot. Um, they, even though they're not, they're, even Burke is likable in a way. He's not likable, but he's, he's watchable. He's, well, he, he's obviously the, the guy who runs on, on charming everybody. Mm. Not everybody who, who is like that is evil. Um, I mean, that's certainly the way I, I would, my experience would point me, but you know, they aren't all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it makes him, uh, I guess even because he is a, a coward and selfish, but he is charming as well. And so he, he kind of charms you as well, even though you're, you don't, you feel a bit like Ripley with it. I, I've lost my train though. The, the point is that every single action sequence in that film, 
uh, and perhaps there's fewer than I sort of remember, but they are all per. You know, it sets out in a slightly on the nose, but not too on the nose for me. You know, the, the reactor sequence where Ripley realizes they can't shoot in there, Gorman. Mm-hmm. And just it sets it up perfectly. You know exactly what's going wrong there. You know why they've all got the guns. You know they're in trouble when they start shooting. Um, at the stake, but you also every- see Gorman screwing up because what he should be doing at that point is tell the troops weapons down, or more to point, tell the sergeant to tell the troops weapons down. Yes. Do not fire unless explicitly ordered. Yeah, but instead he, he muffs it, which ultimately leads to the destruction. It's, I don't know, and every scene, uh, you know, that scene again, the point is to show you Ripley stronger than Gorman, despite mm-hmm. all Gorman's training. It's, oh, it's so beautifully set up, every scene, that, you know, the scene, you know, right at the end, with the Queen, we know it's at stake. There is not an mm-hmm. action sequence in that where you're like, I don't know what, what's, I don't understand what's, the moment when Burke unlocks the face huggers. I mean, I could just name every scene in the film. My point <laughs> is they're all perfectly set up. You know what's happening. You know what needs to happen. You want the character to get out of it. Mm-hmm. It's realistic. They're not superheroes. They, they might think they are. And again, what I know one of your personal favorite scenes is where, is when, um, Hudson is, is doing his pep talk as they drop down into the dropship and, and explain. Well, that, that whole dropship sequence, I, I think maybe my favorite four or five minutes of film ever. So what, what is it that's particularly compelling for you? It's, it's the, the multi-layered thing. I mean, on, on the one level, you've got, here are competent people, well, particularly Pharaoh, doing their job yeah. well. Yeah. Which I'm always a sucker for. Okay. Here, here is space action that's not about shooting. It's about the actual challenge of, you know, flying a re-entry, finding the beacon. You know, it, it's dangerous, but not because somebody's trying to kill you. And it's done in a, in a, Sort of business-like, professional way. And we've got the team being overconfident. Yeah. And we've got Ripley being, you know, and that, you know, they are obviously reading Ripley as scared because, you know, she's not a Marine. Yeah. Whereas in fact, she is scared because she knows what the hell they're coming to deal with. Yeah. We have the uh, nice it, touch of Hicks just, it all just sleeping through it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's such great bits of character development. You know, Hudson, by the time you've landed, you get the kind of inkling how it's going to go because you're with Ripley not with Hudson Mm -hmm. Um, and again it's not um, it's not a subtle metaphor a a very overconfident Bill Bill Paxton is just brilliant here Um, he is it's an absolute tragedy science fiction films you know since Rocketship XM have had the odious comic relief yeah but here is the odious comic relief whom everybody else realises you know diegetically is the odious comic relief he's yeah. do, he's doing it not to amuse the audience he's doing it for a combination of um irking his squad and talking himself up to get over his own lack of morale yeah yeah and you know that that's how you make a comic relief work you flipping like him he's not irritating in the way that he is irritating but it works because you can see why he's being irritating well exactly yeah you're not um and in a way the other characters are irritated by him they're not i i suppose i go back to um oh what's his name steven in um in airplane who's kind of it's it's a hard job to be a comic relief in airplane Mm -hmm. but uh, you know the other characters don't react to him in a way that I would have in that he's quite irritating. Um, but with Hudson, they do react. You know, Ripley calls him on it. You know, I'm sick of your bullshit. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, oh, 
Just, I mean, those. It's hard for me to talk objectively because I did see aliens at a tender age, and I know and love every one of those marines. Or that I know who mm-hmm. dies first. I know why. I know what happens. I, 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 I know why the. But it, it, it was so compelling at that time. You and, don't and know Rick... why they landed the dropship and left the ramp open. <laughs> that's a very good point. That is that's a slightly contentious plot. Also, I mean, I know we've talked about automation and things, but they every really everyone on the whole orbiting ship goes and lands on the planet. Yeah, well, the, that's the thing. I mean, assume assume we have basically the same technology as Alien to start with. Mm. Um, okay, so so you can automate the ship because you've knocked everybody out. For, for the hyperspace transit, for whatever unstated reason. I, I think it's good that you don't state the reason, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would spoil it if you just made up a thing. But it does seem to me that there are an awful lot of potential situations involving some sort of systems failure on the ship, which would be vastly helped by even one person being up there. A dodgy radio transmitter on the Solico. Oh, everyone's dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, it just, but I understand. Oh, we, they, uh, we, we can't... Um, you know, so we we've flown back to the ship in 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 a in a surviving dropship, but the bay doors won't open. Yeah. Oh, we're all going to die. Yeah. Exactly. It's, uh, Nobody here has a pressure suit. <laughs> it's uh, that aside, though. It's uh, I I was actually slightly surprised. In my head, it's kind of a bigger film. But actually, it's a really small squad of marines that go down there. It's ve- it seems very odd. I mean. Okay, we don't really get a sense of scale on the ship, except that they've got two dropships, two APCs. Yeah. Presumably two APCs. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got what, sort of about ten. Yeah. Shooters. It's a, it's a squad. It's like but maybe two squads. That, that's an awful, yeah, the, the table of organization doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, no. I mean, you've, you've got the basic fire team, A fire team, B, each with its, um, smart gunner. And yeah, that, that's good. But yeah. there's, Okay, so here's the thing. I mean, the lieutenant is sitting in the APC with with all those screens. Yeah. That implies, the fact that he's got all those screens, implies that that's where he is expected to be. Yes. Which is pretty weird in itself. Yeah, he's supposed to go out in the APC with... Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, um, H- all right, H- Hicks does show some leadership, but he's not in a leadership role until the Sarge is dead. Whereas he yeah, should be, he yeah. should be running his own fire team. It's a, it's a weird because also it's not very, and I think because it's specifically an allegory, allegory of the Vietnam War, but it's not very clear who the colonial marines are, what government they're. You know, it doesn't mm. make. Uh, I mean, I'm glad. Well, I, arguably, it doesn't, it doesn't really to be matter. A, it doesn't matter in the film, and, and I suppose we're being a bit nerdy discussing. But it, it's so clearly supposed to be, you know, from the point. Right down to the point where, you know, they're doing their own graffiti on the helmets in very Vietnam mm. style. The helmet is basically what the what the Americans wore in Vietnam. Yeah. Um slightly stylized. It's uh Al, Al know, Matthews it's, had um been in Vietnam, uh Apone. Apone, yeah. And he, he gave them some informal guns training. You know, do not point these things at each other because even the blanks are dangerous, but also right. because it looks wrong if you do. Uh, they also, I gather, got some SAS people for some, you know, two or three days of intensive moving around training. Key point about all that was Gorman did not get any of that. Yes, they, they kept Gorman separate. They, they had all this intensive, you, you are, you are all doing this thing together and you're going to get through it together. Yeah. 
And so they all bonded, yeah. and then go, and it it, it worked. It was a bit of a cruel thing to do, yeah, but it worked. And I also I believe uh, 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 Burke and Ripley um, and, and not, were not involved in that um, mm. either. Um, but it is so clearly an allegory of the Vietnam. You know, this technologically superior. Um, military force thinks they're just going to absolutely wipe out these with incompetent and, officers. Yeah, yeah. It's um, and as it, we've said it before, you know, we we quite like well constructed blockbusters that at least make a pretension of touching on deeper issues. You know, there was Jaws ever so slightly touches on social issues, mm-hmm. uh, not not greatly, but enough for me. The Indianapolis speech, again, it, it's enough for me. <laughs> uh, then you've got me enough that I feel like I'm doing something slightly cerebral. Then I can watch the dumb action film, <laughs> and then I'm quite happy with it. And we've talked about how Aliens is a, a, a big dumb action film. And it is, but... I guess James Cameron here shows you that there's a real flipping talent to getting that right. You don't uh, have to think to enjoy it, but if you do, it doesn't smash your brain about by being stupid. Exactly. No, and, it, and there's a real skill to, again, as we talked, clearly laying out the stakes in every scene so that you understand the tension and what needs to happen for your the character that you want to get out of it to to escape. And I, mm. I think there's there's a real skill to that that a lot of James Bond film, basically a lot of action films get. In fact, there are very few action films that get it right, other than Die Hard. You mm. know, where, where which you, we you will know, certainly talk about at some future time. Which we will certainly talk about. Um, uh, and uh, where action films, they don't have to be bigger and better in that sort of way. To a big explosion is not what makes an action film good. It is, <laughs> it is putting a character that you love into a difficult situation that you're. Going Why to is that explosion happening? Out. Exactly. And what does that mean for my characters when that bag of ammunition goes off in the middle of the coolant system mm-hmm. in this uh, <laughs> in this shake-and-bake colony? I um, think one thing to bear in mind, uh, in terms of America at war on any sort of large scale, um, it hadn't really been happening much. It was it was the whole, you know, Cold War looking across the wall thing for the most part. Lots of small stuff, obviously. But, you know, Grenada in 1983 yes. was not a large military action. No. So if if you were looking back for a model of what the US troops in the field are like, Vietnam is not an not an unreasonable model in terms of what they actually did as opposed to what people think they're probably going to do. Yes, yes. Exactly, I mean, yes. E- even Panama's not till 89. Yeah, mm, yeah. So... I know, I, well, I suppose nowadays what we look back is uh, you know Desert Storm in mm-hmm. Afghanistan as our I kind of go to this looks like a war kind of thing, um, but back then yes it would have been Vietnam that they flipped back to. Um, I, again we haven't talked about the actors very much. I mean a lot of these were had worked for Cameron before. Um, uh, well, uh, Ma- the, Michael Bean was a, as a last moment replacement, as I understand it. Uh, due to well, uh, issues that I don't want to get sued over. <laughs> well, uh, it, it has been admitted that James, James Rimmel was uh, fired after an arrest for drug possession. Okay, good. All right. Uh, um, we have Lance, our man Lance, um, in mm-hmm. finally in a starring role, and he's almost. I, it's hard for me to remember how I said. He's all, Bishop is almost set up as. Oh no, he's another Ash. You know, there's a moment in the lab when uh, yeah. when is it Spunk Myers saying, "What's that? You're." Is that your pet? And he's like, fascinating, aren't they? And I, I think that is supposed to build up the idea that Bishop is going to be the villain of the piece. Well, at least also, humans. Uh, he, he's he's clearly saying, you know, I have had this specific order from Burke. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
no, no, he... nobody goes off on a long spiel about three laws of robotics or any of that stuff. But I think it's pretty strongly implied that if he gets an order from Burke, he's going to obey it. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, yeah, I'd say and, we have uh, Bill Paxton would have been in the Terminator too, of course. Uh, Bill Paxton, briefly. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's the one that gets his heart pulled out. Um, but he is... Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, another early um, childhood memory of mine. That's about when my mum pressed stop on the VCR. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, Bill Paxton, I can't say enough about it. He's amazing. Michael Bean, I don't know that he's got a lot of versatility, Michael Bean, because he's effectively playing Kyle Reese again here, only slightly less traumatised, perhaps, than Kyle mm. Reese is. But he's immensely charismatic. Um, he is very generous in the sense that in no way does he steal scenes from Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver, I mean... Uh, She's good in Alien. She's great here, I yeah. think. There, there um, were long negotiations, um, in part because, obviously, she she had got fairly successful op- largely off the back of Alien and wanted more money. Uh, um, she'd done Ghostbusters by now, as well, yeah. I think. Um, and there, there was some suggestion that... Um, they, they they faked up a script in which she would be killed off and, and let let her see it to, as, as a negotiating tactic. You know, okay, we don't really need you. The the other thing that was said, and again, we don't know how much this negotiating tactic is, that she was generally not impressed with how sequels tended to be done of just, you know, same thing, yeah. bigger and louder. I don't know what the experience on set was like, because James Cameron not renowned for he being put everybody's backs up directed by, to by all, no. all accounts. Well, he wasn't uh, particularly the crew, I believe, which is mm-hmm. what he generally does with British crew. Um, but uh, what do you mean you're not going to work for twelve hours until you fall over? Yeah, <laughs> shocking, <laughs> shocking behaviour. Um, almost like the American work ethic. Work ethic is somewhat different to the British. I will not take sides other than we are human and you should treat us as such. But it, it um, was a slow development. It was it was a pretty troubled production. It did end up on schedule and under budget. So yes, yes. On the subject of actors, we have our our friend Paul Reiser, who we last saw in Diner um, as Carter Burke. Um, he's good, isn't he? Yeah. He's very good in this. I think... I, okay, th- this is one of my um, minor obsessions anyway, but he really comes across well as the guy who has always been a good talker, who has always been able to solve everything by talking, yes. coming up against something that you can't solve by talking. Uh, you know, literally, right in his demise. Um, but yes, exactly. Uh, and right and, and what, it's when that starts to break. Yeah, you know, when Ripley is saying, "I'm go- I'm going to show them the actual evidence." Yeah, and you, that, you that, just that see he starts that... making mis- mistakes. Yes, that, I mean, that's try, like trying to get realizes... them infected in the med lab is a mistake. It, it's it's the only thing you can see to do at that point. But it's clearly an error because if it goes wrong, it leaves well, him he's even up more. Against... Ripley, who is effectively immune to his bullshit, <laughs> um, and it just it works it works really well. I mean, he, perhaps it, again, it was my first experience of that kind of slimy character uh, as a betrayer, and it's done. I mean, it's it's kind of very black and white in a way. The world of aliens, you're either a goodie or a baddie, mm-hmm. um, and he pretends he's almost a goodie but becomes a baddie. Gorman seems like a baddie. But actually turns out all right, and everyone else is, you know, they're all, Hudson is um, just flaky, but ultimately a goodie. So it's not, it's not deep moral. They're not complex characters, but mm-hmm. it's just what you need for this kind of film. 
it's, yeah. it's just well done. Um, and also, we we should probably mention Carrie Henn, whose only yes. acting role this was, which which is one way to do the child star thing and come out of it a normal human being. Well, that, I don't I don't recall if we talk much in Stand by Me about the ethics of having child actors, given what normally happens to them. But Carrie Henn. Um, you know, she was like, "Yeah, that was a load of fun, but I am going to pursue my dream of being a school teacher." It's mm. just a wonderful, a wonderful story. I, I was struck this time round um, by how much she just physically resembles my daughter, um, <laughs> which was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, oh, I so think so the film warped your DNA, uh. <laughs> possibly. Uh, I think she's great. I don't find it irritating. Um, uh, she's know, one a... of the very few child characters I don't find irritating. I mean, I was a bit nervous coming off the back of Stand By Me. As, as <laughs> she, but I, and you, she just, um, you know, the, the the scene where she wins you over is that, you know, Ripley, she's in our bad dreams because she's just a piece of plastic. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a night. It's so well written. It doesn't cancel her innocence. It doesn't make her like a, a night. Uh, it doesn't make her a cynical. It just shows that She's just doing what she has to to survive. As you put um, uh, offline, really, she, the the point is she's not the kid. She's the survivor with local knowledge that can genuinely help mm-hmm. these characters who happens to be a kid. Yeah. And it is another undercutting of the, you know, we are tough, we are mean, we are colonial space marines. It's another undercutting of that. As Ripley says, she managed to survive for seven days and she hasn't got mm-hmm. any weapons at all. Um, oh, so good, it's such a good film. <laughs> and you know the the finale, as you say, with um, Bishop comes get there with the, the the. I I talked about some of the special effects in Alien, uh, where you know some of them are clearly guys in suits. I never got that sense in Aliens, even though the aliens themselves are a little bit more disposable. Mm-hmm. Um, just. Uh, that a final effect sequence with her fighting the queen i don't know i'm so lost in the story i'm not really looking for the effects but none of them jar me out of it i i can't remember well that's many. the thing it, it it's all moving much faster yeah i yeah. mean obviously you could frame by frame it and and spot things but that's not what it's for yeah. whereas a lot of the sequences in alien are deliberately this is slow and this is lingering and you can see what's happening and then, um, and then once you've kind of been exposed to that trick, you're more looking out for it. Whereas aliens just hits the ground running, really. Certainly from when they land on on the planet. Yeah, I, not... I had a thought about that. Yes. Would this work if you opened it the way Alien did, with the dark Sulaco and the lights coming on and them waking up, and you don't know who any of these people are unless you know who Ripley is? Be a different film. I don't know if it would work for aliens. I don't know because that would lend an element of mystery, mm. which I don't know that Aliens needs as That's a film. I, I think Alien does need it. I mean, it's a mystery that turns into a horror. Aliens is never a mystery. Ripley knows right from the start what's going on. There and is also she... a, a little geeky nod to me in that sequence. I mean, okay, not deliberately to me in Alien. They've got that drinking duck toy. Yes. And that works by evaporating water. And, you know, in the months or even the days, it would have gone dry. Perhaps it's really full. So the one they show you in Aliens, the the, um, nested hoops. Yes. Has a little magnetic kicker in the base and a small battery. (laughs) That's how it keeps moving. 
presumably these are uh, very uh, high tech. But I mean, uh, that's reminding it, it me doesn't actually, take much because it's just that tiny little kicker right at the bottom of the sweep. It's reminding me, even in that sequence, he's setting up his characters because one of my favourite moments is um, Frost, the sergeant. No, it's not Frost, a pwn. Uh, the first thing he does as soon as he wakes up is put a cigar in his mouth. So he's mm-hmm. presumably gone to sleep with. It's cold, it's not lit, but he's got to have a cigar in his mouth for him mm-hmm. to be a pwn. Just, uh, that was the other thing I didn't touch about the Vietnam War. All the lingo is Vietnam War as well. You know, mm-hmm. you talked about, um, 5x5 five five and, and all the things they say, stop your grinning, drop your linen. It's all straight out of Vietnam. Um, mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's, um, anyway, sorry, slightly. But that I, no characterization moment is, is lost. Um, yeah, oh, it's a very economical piece of filmmaking. You remember when we were talking about the thing and one particular character's expression when he realizes I'm in command now. Uh, yes, yes. H- Hicks has that exact same expression. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> yes, it is a nice, uh, a nice moment. Oh. So good. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of flaws with Alien. I mean, there are plot holes, certainly, and some of it is a little convoluted. Well, the, like, there's that oh, scene I've about, well, who's laying all these eggs uh, f- to, to convert all the colonists? Well, yeah. the original ship, which Ripley had had the report on, though she hadn't seen it, had yeah. hundreds of eggs in it, so nobody needs to be laying them at all. Well, <laughs> in the original Alien, as filmed, of course... The actual alien, the drone in Aliens, because that's what it is. In the, they're revealed to be drone-like, or or at least fighter, the, drone-like creatures in Aliens. But in Alien, in the original script, it cocooned Dallas and laid mm-hmm. an egg inside him. Sure. So uh, again, there's there's some convoluted plot holes, like oh, someone needs to crawl all the way across. You know, in this in this long convoluted thing, so we can get the ship down. Also, there's no one on the solar code, so we can't call it down directly. That would solve all our problems. It's slightly mm-hmm. convoluted, but as you say, it's moving so quickly that you don't stop to think about it so much. And even when you do, it's not a glaring. That's stupid. It's just a kind of oh, or or even it? it's in universe stupid. Yeah, exactly. It, none <laughs> of it ruins the film. Um, what does ruin Aliens for me is Alien 3, um, mm. because the whole ending of the film is just thrown away. Yeah. Um, Alien 3, the beginning of Alien 3, Newt, Hicks, uh, are both killed off camera. Uh, you be- They barely even get a mention. Uh, Bishop pops back in again. Um, yeah, when, when Michael Bean found out what, what had happened, uh, he negotiated rights for the use of his likeness in the tiny bit of Alien 3 that he was in, up to the point where he got paid as much for that as for this. <laughs> okay, well, that makes me happy. That I just, I find myself, as I watch the end of Aliens, feeling sad, because I know what canonically happens to these characters, mm-hmm. and it, it genuinely spoils the ending of Aliens for me. Um, I, I, I have not seen Alien 3, as far as I recall, since I first saw it in the cinema. It's The sad thing about Alien 3, it's not a it's not an absolutely awful film. It's got moments of brilliance, um, but it has deeply unlikable characters. It gets mm. rid of all the characters that you like right at the start. Um, and it goes back from the expansiveness of Aliens and tries to go back to the, the solitary horror of Alien. It's doing the classic sequel thing, in fact. Uh, but it does it worse than Alien. Yeah. Uh, it certainly does it worse than Aliens. Uh, what, one of the original plans for this was um, 
they would get back to Earth and Ripley would essentially leave the story except in cameos, because, you know, she's yeah. done her thing at this point. I, uh, I but, Ripley... but Hicks would be a primary character going forward. I, there's not many sequels that utterly poison the the film before it. I'm, I'm afraid Alien 3 does it for me with Aliens. Hmm. Alien I, I think it's a huge error to do that. I, I think... Oh, I've, um, uh, I think Ripley's story's over at that point. She doesn't yeah. need to be inextricably yeah. linked with the... David Bishop gets very excited that, uh, and other people have since got very excited at Ripley's unique relationship with the alien and how it's the only boyfriend she'll ever have that will never leave her. I think Bishop talks about. He, um, I, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. that impression from either of those films. Like really she just is a survivor who wants yeah. to get through this, and I think. The films after that did try and link Ripley with it specifically. Especially four, of course. Especially four, but three does it too. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a mistake. I, I don't think Ripley needs... I think her story's over. And the alien itself is a strong enough concept to carry more films, though God knows Wrigley Scott's doing his best <laughs> to counter, <laughs> that, counter that notion lately. Um, I would be very happy never to see another alien film. I, I, I've seen Alien. It's fantastic. I've seen Aliens. It's fantastic. They're both fantastic in different ways. I, If I had to watch one again, and I probably will, it would be Aliens, because it's just it's more mm. viscerally exciting. And when you've seen Alien, it's less rewarding to watch it again and again, uh, which I don't find with Aliens. But they're both masterpieces of cinema. Yeah, I, I would like to mention briefly the director's cut. I think this was one of the first films where I became aware of a director's cut. Uh, yes, um, and there there is good and bad, I think, about this because I, I think you mentioned before that um, one of the things that that was cut from the original release is Ripley's daughter having died of old age. Yes, and losing that basically means well, she 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 is female, therefore she is a mother, and that, that's much. That's less how interesting. it feels to me. It's it's mentioned that she lost a daughter because she tells it again to Newt, but. I I agree. It turns Ripley from in Alien. She's uh, this character who happens to be female. In Aliens, she is, I think, quite generously. She is a woman, and that comes with motherhood for some women, and that comes with feelings of protection. Uh, uh, and I don't feel that's I feel that's explored in Aliens, and uh, I think it's an interesting plot point. But without knowing that she had a daughter and lost her. Or it just being in one line, mm. I think it lessens Ripley as a character. Yeah, yes. it makes her more generic, I think. Yes. Um, the thing I would lose, I think, still, is the all the pre-infestation colony stuff. I mean, on the one hand, it's nice to see, yeah, there were people yeah. there. But we know there yeah. were people there. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, it foreshadows Newt knows about the air ducts. Because yeah. Cameron loves his foreshadowing. But yeah, yeah. We, we get all the stuff we need to know when we meet Newt later, and I don't think it's necessary. I agree. Now, I wouldn't be without it, because I love the film, and a bit more of it is fine, but I absolutely <laughs> agree. It isn't necessary, and in some ways it... Such as there is any mystery at all in Aliens, which is not to the same degree of Alien, it it lessens that mystery, and I, I completely agree, you don't need any of that for Newt. It doesn't make Newt a better character for knowing that because you can fill in all those blanks yourself and, yeah. and you don't really need to see it. I agree. The, I the thing agree. that really did work for me though was I, I can't p- point at individual timestamps 
but it felt as though there were a lot of little connective bits saying, you know, we're moving from this part of the base to that part of the base, and here is here is the narrative connection about, you know, we, we've set up a defensive line here, and this is why we're fighting here rather than over there, and that, that yeah. kind of thing. And the sentry guns obviously being a part of that, but not, they're, they're not as important as I remember them being. I mean, they're cool, but... <laughs> I think you could lose uh, the sentry guns as well, honestly. Um, I wouldn't want to, because I wouldn't want to lose any of it. But I, I agree. Uh, well, but, I mean, yeah. it's the why, why they go into the ducts rather than straight along the corridors. Yes, exactly. You'd, it, it's you'd all, need another explanation for that. It adds to that explanation of the scenes, which, as we've said, is, is sometimes a little on the nose, but is so well done that, that it means the action sequences themselves the stakes are so clear that it makes them more exciting for me. Yeah, yeah, I, it's I agree. The, the thing I always say is action matters because of the people who are in the action. Yeah. If I care okay. about the people, then, then I will be thinking, "Oh wow, you know, could could is that going to be a major injury? How how can how can they get out of this?" Exactly. Whereas and if it's this... the, the the more we go CGI with modern film, the more I it's dip, more difficult to get that connection because. Obviously, they aren't people. Uh, or the minute I remember it viscerally hitting me. Uh, is it Goldeneye? There's a James Bond film where he basically jumps out of a a plane onto a bike and drives away <laughs> as the bike mm. lands a falling plane. And it just once it reaches that level of well, no human could survive those physical forces. Yeah. Then I'm just not interested. Then it doesn't matter what else happens at that point because I know it's, it's not following any laws of any physical universe that I understand, and therefore I'm not really interested anymore because I don't, I can't predict why this person's getting injured and this that one isn't. Aliens uh, gets it all right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Die Hard gets it all right. There was a thing that, that struck me. Uh, I don't think I noticed before um, when Ripley is in the Queen's chamber. It seems yes. to me that what she's effectively doing is, is striking a sort of implicit bargain. You know, if yes. you, if you let me go, I won't flamethrower your eggs. Yes. And she then immediately proceeds to flamethrower the eggs. Yeah. I, I, I must have, I agree. That is the, I, I, I found that a slight, yeah, I, this time, and I've never noticed that before. She's got Newt. She's got her surrogate daughter with her. It is a dangerous thing. She should just leave if she cares about Newt at all, because it's Newt she's putting at risk. Hmm. If she cares about her at all, well, she, she needs go. to get the Queen to withdraw that second warrior from behind the, yeah, from the exit route. She does, yes, but that that bargain has kind of been struck, and also, you know, they're all gonna be dead in a few minutes anyway. Mm-hmm. You don't need to do that, and I, yeah, I. Uh, that is a one slightly jarring character moment that I, I think Ripley probably would have had enough self-control to to not do that and not put herself at extreme risk. Well, the, the other thing is, of course, we, we are both biologists to some extent, and we both know how crap the idea of the commanding queen is. Yeah, so. yeah, it's not... <laughs> I mean, we knew, uh, biolo- but... we knew biology then too, but it was cool, so we forgave it, so I'll forgive it now. <laughs> But uh, yes, and it's you know they're aliens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they get. But yeah. it 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 ends up with Newt saying, "Ripley, we need to go." Mm-hmm. She's she's got into it. She's all about which again. David Bishop gets all into this is abortion. By it's it's a very strange uh, position he takes. Um, but uh, I but I agree that's a difficult, um, a slightly difficult moment. Uh, 
But, well, I don't know. But on the other hand, this, this produced the first ever Best Actress nomination for a science fiction film at the Academy Awards. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... Uh, frankly, I, d- I don't know how... It is a good acting job, yeah. I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm just asking myself, is it, is it really deserved? Uh, it's hard to pick out the individual bits that make aliens work, and is her acting the, the most I, important I think, I, th- I think it's important. I, I think <laughs> she, she is not not only the viewpoint centre, but the um, the competence centre of the film. Yeah. She's a, she's an action hero. She's just a slightly she's not a she's not an action hero that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, she's great. In it. I mean, an I action hero we wouldn't see anything like often enough again. No, no, even now, though things are better now than they were, but still, uh, yeah. But yes, it's great that she got an Oscar nomination. Um, who is she up against? Have we got? Um, I'd just be interested to know what other acting jobs were considered. Alongside that, uh, oh, sorry, that's going to require a Google, and I don't say. No, no, we don't I, need to. I will be with you in just a moment. I just want, but I suppose I'm, I'm arguing myself there. We've already talked about what a good job she does. Of, as you say, when she when she's scared in the dropship, we know why she's scared. But I don't know if that's more the directing uh, and, and the and the rest of them don't. Yes, yeah. I but she, I not to denigrate. I just I don't know. Okay, so up against Kathleen Turner in Peggy Sue Got Married, Sissy Spacek oh, yeah. in Crimes of the Heart, Jane Fonda in The Morning After, and Marley Matlin in Children of a Lesser God. Oh, well, None of which I have seen. I, the only one I haven't seen is Children of a Lesser God, actually. Um, well, I mean, in that context, she does. she's absolutely deserving. Um, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. That's, uh, that's very good. Um, was that I? Did Hollywood still distinguish between actresses and actors? With uh, yeah, with, uh, they still do. Yeah. Okay. Well, I suppose that's fair in the sense at least actresses actually get an award at some point. Uh, it feels a little archaic, but I suppose in some yeah. sense it's helpful. Anyway, there we go. That's Aliens. Love it. Yeah. Um they're they're great films. They're good. It, the Terror from Beyond Space, um, which we haven't talked about too much, um, but we both watched for preparation for this podcast, is not of that calibre. <laughs> <But it's>, uh, <laughs> not even by the standards of fifties science fiction. It has its moments. Um, I mean, by the standards. The thing is, I mean, it, it's it's a um, it's a universal budget B movie rather than an AIP budget B movie. Those guys are very free and easy with explosive weapons on it. <laughs> they strap up, is it nine grenades to an air duct, which is on the outer mm. hull? But okay. Um, but as most people listening to this probably haven't seen it, the terror. it's certainly worth a watch, and it's very short. Is it 60-something minutes? 69 minutes, yeah. And, and it's, and it's it very economical. 69 minutes. You can certainly see where Alien... Get, in fact, the... You can always see the genesis of the Dallas scene in the air ducts. Well, it's it's a bit like the thing versus thing from another world in Mm. that you've got a much more conventional monster that just goes rah and kills people. Yeah. Whereas in, in, in the later film, you get the monster does something interesting to people. Yes. Yeah. So it's an interesting counterpoint, but on its own, it's not really a particularly outstanding film. But it, it clearly had an influence on, uh, I mm. think, Dan O'Bannon particularly at yeah. the time. Mm. 
Um, well, there we go. I think that about wraps up another episode of Ribbon of Memes. Yeah. It's, uh, and so. it's really nice to have something that... Yeah, I've, I've liked some, I've let, liked others less, but these are two films that I love. So. Yeah, it's it's nice to... I mean, we do indulge ourselves sometimes in our off weeks, and we, we will again, <laughs> I suspect. Um, but they are. I, objectively, I mean, I know I forced you to watch Stand By Me, and I, I still love that film, but oh my goodness, these <laughs> these films hit me at the exact right time to... I mean, they're, they're one of the reasons I'm a geek. They're, they're mm-hmm. just they're just very good. And even... It's reassuring. It's nice to see nowadays... They genuinely are. They're really good films, both of them. And they um, stand up well now, yeah. They do, they yeah. That they don't they don't get a lot wrong in a way that we just haven't felt that way. Part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast was I felt like because I'm quite geeky, um I wanted to see other films that were highly regarded and just, you know, was I missing out a lot? And, we, and we've watched a lot of them and they've all had things to enjoy. But I don't know that you could say that they are better or more worthy than the films I loved at this oh, I'm age. I'm probably not going to try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. That, it's reassuring to me. I that mean, these... do, do I prefer um, beer or tea? Well, it depends on what I, what I want to achieve or what my mood is. <laughs> um, but ob- uh, objectively, I mean, it's a, a pointless question really, but is Paris, Texas better than aliens well I, I i can point out more flaws in paris texas <laughs> uh and i can point out the visual beauty of paris texas and alien i i um anyway I, i'm digressing there but i i this whole podcast has been one validating <laughs> one long validating system for me to to remind me why I mean, I they're not perfect because nothing's perfect but no they're they're awfully good true. awfully good <laughs> Well, onwards to 1987, and wherever that lies. Oh, I didn't do an alien sign-off. It's because I signed off at the beginning. You now have 15 minutes to reach minimum safe distance. Turn it off! Turn it off! (laughs) 